Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul Reese Mandel. My name is Eric Klein, and today we're here for the love of community media in all of its forms radio, podcasting, public video. access television, video, and even internet access and digital equity at libraries and schools. But, but it's, vey, it's, it's bad. under threat. Well, that all that stuff is good. Yes, but, exactly. But These things that exist in the media landscape in the United States of America are really good. They could be even better if they were a little more well-funded, but we're not here to talk about funding them uh, better. We're here to talk about just how under threat the little bit that they already get. Yeah, under threat by an innocuous sounding, mostly because you don't can't make sense of it, uh, proceeding happening at the Federal Communications Commission right now. Public access television and PEG, which is public educational and governmental television, could be literally wiped out overnight if this policy goes through, and it could go through really soon. Yeah. So we've got some experts to help explain it to us because – we need them to explain it. <laughs> so in just a moment, we have some experts to explain to us what the threat is, how it might happen, and what the impact would be. We're joined on the line by two guests today. Martin Jones is CEO at Metro East Community Media in Gresham, Oregon. Hello, Marty. Hello. How are you doing today, Art? Oh, we're doing well. I'm excited about today's conversation. And we're also on the line with Sabrina Roach, Alliance for Community Media Foundation board member. Hi, Sabrina. Hello, hello. Sabrina, I'm so glad you're here to help us understand what's happening right now with the Federal Communications Commission and public access television. And what I understand is that public access television stations are currently potentially under threat based upon some changes that the FCC wants to make um, in how they are governed and how they are funded. And I know this this is a, this is uh, gets really into the weeds here with policy, but that's why we have both of you here to try and help explain to radio survivors uh, what is the threat, what's what's going on right now, Sabrina. Essentially, the FCC has made an opening to potentially completely defund public access, educational, and government television, as well as digital equity, digital inclusion services by cities and counties. So those those how to use your email classes at your public library, those could be completely cut out all across the country in addition to public access television losing its funding. Wow. So this uh, is a complete decimation of a whole huge layer of community media and community technology services. How, it could just ruin everything. How would this happen? How is I mean, this sounds like the kind of thing that if more people knew about it would would be getting more play in the press that more people would know that this was happening but it doesn't seem to be the headline here <laughs> there's a lot going there's on there's a lot going on yeah what is what is the change that the FCC wants to make that would impact all of this funding well like with other horrible policy changes that could deeply impact our lives the best way to make it happen officially is to give it a very long name that doesn't make a lot of sense or only makes sense if you're very used to talking about things like this. So this is the second further notice and proposed rulemaking for the implementation of section 621A1 of the Cable Communications Policy Act of 1984 as amended by the Cable Television Consumer Protection and Competition Act of 1992. Okay, so I heard heard some (laughs) things I understand. Right, right. So this is basically taking all the protections of this funding away. And it hinges on this in-kind concept where this could let the cable companies assign a cash value to things that they give public access, education, government, um, TV, as well as community technology and digital inclusion projects. Uh, This could make it so that um, the cash component, which they give to compensate the public, the taxpayer, for using the public right-of-way, for using utility poles, for digging up our sidewalks, for accessing buildings, things that they need to do to do their business. Currently, they give cities and counties this uh, chunk of money, and they also give 
funding for building space, like they, they, but without giving cash for it. Mm-hmm. Or um, there's a way of interpreting this that even could make the um, connection from the cable company to the home have a cash value assignment. Okay. And basically, any city or county that currently receives, you know, maybe, you know, say $2 million, they could zero that out or cut it in half. They could even send a bill for former in-kind contributions, and they could wreck just havoc on, uh, say, a library or public access station in this way. Martin Jones, you're the CEO at Metro East Community Media here in Gresham, Oregon. So you, uh, you're the CEO of a community media organization that depends on this funding. Is this true? What, what would happen if the FCC's proposed policy uh, were to move forward? What would happen to your community media institution? It would be a shame if three people on a body of five commissioners could completely destroy a bipartisan, congressionally enacted piece of legislation that has been successful for over three decades in the stroke of a pen because they're in the hip pocket of industry. So I'm a cable subscriber. It's very expensive. But by being a cable subscriber, I'm also an investor in community media. So when I look at my bill and I see that franchise tax for about 5 or $6, it varies from person to person based on your video package. That's money that's going back into the investment in community media. Mm-hmm. What in essence is happening is greedy cable companies are becoming greedier. They want to charge for the very cost of the channels that we're running. It's important for your listeners to note that the channels we program and that we provide content for are pre-negotiated in our franchise agreement. And in most counties or cities, those agreements are 10-year-plus agreements. When I took this job, I knew that my biggest threat was going to be people cutting the cord, not being cable subscribers anymore. because. Cable companies are greedy and they're charging too much money and it's becoming too expensive for people to keep cable. People also don't want to pay for a lot of channels they don't watch. And the cable companies have been rigid and inflexible. Competition is changing that. But the companies have become so large and so vertically integrated that in the old days when you would call about a cable bill being too expensive, they would try to retain you and have a retention specialist help you. Now they just say, okay, um, what broadband service do you want? And the moment that happens, we don't receive any money. So the same cable, the same box that brings this service into your house has a fee connected to it as long as there's a video package. When you turn the video package off and you just get broadband, we no longer get funding. So that's something that's you know kind of wonky but important for your listeners yeah. to know. Well, and it's, it's just if, very... If the, it's very interesting oh, because uh, well, it's just very interesting because when this when these policies were enacted uh, a generation ago, back in in the in the late '60s, in the '70s, and the '80s, that that built these kinds of community television stations on built them on the backs of these uh, cable companies' uh, uh, profits, I suppose you could say, but also their um, well, it's not even on their profits, right? right. Because the, the whole principle, if I'm not if I am not mistaken is that in order to build out this cable infrastructure, they had to use the public right-of-way, right? right? All of these cables have to go somewhere, and all of it is public land. So so taking a little bit back for the communities where they're operating, but what I was getting at that back in, uh, let's say, 1984, your your cable companies on a national level were, were nothing compared to what your cable companies are now in 2018. They're massive media conglomerates that that offer uh that own so much more of so many more uh things like uh especially content but also like you were saying marty uh the internet these cable companies are also now internet companies and so um they just have more power than they did uh, back when these services were um were legislated so that community access was a part of of the deal and Paul nailed it on the head. These companies have become huge leviathans on the back of publicly owned right-of-way infrastructure. So all of us listeners, whether we're cable subscribers or not, 
we own the public right away because we pay taxes when we buy things, when we get paid, we pay taxes. And all those phone poles and underground conduits and all that infrastructure is paid for with tax dollars. So the beautiful thing about community media and the notion of the people that put it into play was if you're going to make a fortune building your companies and these services, there needs to be a public benefit. And so the negotiated public benefit was public education and government access television. That's the basic covenant between the people, the the townships or the, you know, the government and the cable providers. And if they can now, you know, pervert this pure, simple law and agreement to become even greedier and decimate transparency in government, transparency in access and ability for schools and libraries to have free internet, that would be a despicable and awful thing. So to answer your question much more directly, Paul, when I started, the threat was people cutting cable and therefore cutting revenue. The threat today is our is our FCC. If this proposed rulemaking goes through, um, it will decimate our funding and we could close our doors. And that, I think it's important to talk about this in terms of the larger context of what's going on with our national communications infrastructure and the relationship with the internet, cable, telecom companies. And that this motion was put forward, it was proposed at the same time as the vote that would um, make it impossible for cities and counties to receive cash compensation for the 5G internet build out, the that the small cell um, build out, and so that um, and, and that build out, what you say is sort of next generation uh, cell phones, next generation wireless data. Um, in order for that to happen, um, yeah, it's got to go. Little towers, little little mini antennas are going up all over the city right. on city owned infrastructure. So it's the same thing. Right. So imagine. Mm-hmm. So imagine something the size of a backpack or a pizza box going up on top of a utility pole every 300 to 500 feet in a city. Um, recently, the city of uh, San Jose was able to negotiate a rental fee of $2,500 per pole attachment mm. for that. And they were going to use a lot of that money for digital equity work yeah. in their, their town. Which is a really, um, I really love that idea of you take, you know, this privately owned private internet, the, like a fast lane for, for phone holders, and then you, you take a little bit of that, uh, you take a little bit of that away to build something for everybody. It's fostering the ecosystem. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a, a more healthy way to, to, you know, build out infrastructure and, compensate cities and towns for their resources. But the way they that the telecoms have this set up is that they're asking for um, to not pay that much. They're, they're asking to uh, actually get into a situation where we, the taxpayers, could be paying for their infrastructure to be on top of those utility poles. And they also just snuck in a no ISTC, so no fees on top of internet service providers. So the same companies that are accessing um, our utility poles and our public rights of way for cable, um, they've been able to avoid that um, due to a technicality ruling. They've been able to avoid paying that kind of money on ISPs. So our cities have already been missing out on that funding for public access education and government TV, as well as digital equity and technology programs. So they've weakened the ecosystem by not paying into it. And now they're just left and right with each kind of communications technology slashing out the funding to compensate the public for and the taxpayers for our resources that they're using. So we're talking. It's a money. It's a money grab. It's a money grab. Yeah. We're talking with Sabrina Roach who is on the Alliance for Community Media Foundation board and with Martin Jones. He's the CEO of Metro East Community Media in Gresham, Oregon, which is a public access television station there in the city of Gresham. And what we're trying to do is understand how public 
access television stations, public education, governmental television stations, often called peg stations, how their funding is at risk right now. And it's not just peg stations, but also funding that goes to places like libraries to fund internet access, to fund digital equity, to make sure people who don't... Libraries and schools. In schools, yeah, who don't otherwise have easy internet access, uh, maybe at fr- at and home or elsewhere. So this is all on the chopping block because of a policy at the FCC. What is the timing of this proposal? Yeah. What, what is the timing of this proposal right now, Sabrina, which has been made in front of the FCC? It's a threat, but the threat, when, how do we know, how do we know when to really worry about the threat being enacted? Oh, it is right upon us. So uh, the public comments can be filed by December 14th. So it's very important. The call to action is that it's very important right now for listeners to this to go to their elected officials locally and ask for letters to be sent to the FCC. Um, so you're that asking talk about how important it is in their communities that we have. So you're you're talking these, about you know, communicating. Access. You're talking about communicating with your local elected officials. Here, Because often we hear mm-hmm. the, the call to action uh, when it was around network neutrality. Uh, and, of course, the FCC was flooded with millions of comments from the public. And in this particular case, you're sort of uh, expressing a little different call to action. You're saying talk to your public officials. Why is it important for the FCC to hear from uh, sort of prominent public officials in, in your local community? What, what is, what's, the, what's the weight behind that? Part of what's happening right now, like when this was announced that day at the FCC, when the 5G flashing was also announced and the no ISP fee, uh, the 5G issue really impacts cities and counties in, um, in a way that's very activating for them. So the Conference of Mayors and League of Cities um, are very much on this. And if you go to their social media feeds, you'll, you'll get more information about 5G and because of the complexity of this issue, it's just not getting as much attention. This issue um, being the defunding so, of uh, PEG stations, public access mm-hmm. and education and government stations. Right. And from, from my perspective, I think it is important for individuals to file public comments at the FCC. But I also think it's important to engage our local electeds and have an amplifying effect on our activities so that you can be in conversation with your local electeds about how important this is and, and, and what it means to you. And they will then take some time and think about how it's, it's important for this to have resources. Yeah, one of, the most, one of the most useful for democracy, for local democracy, things that these television stations do throughout the United States is their, their local C-SPANs. They broadcast uh, city council meetings, sometimes even other meetings, school board meetings are uh are so accessible to people who don't have the opportunity to uh leave their house and go to the go to city hall not to mention uh time shifting the meetings so that people can watch the meetings uh later on in the evenings and the fact that the um, it it's just quite a important service that i don't think is fully uh comprehended as a part of the right. uh, the media landscape in this country the governmental aspect of these television stations. Right. And as uh, state house coverage has been defunded, house local city council coverage has been defunded in our newsroom. Um, I know when I worked at the NPR station in Seattle um, as a newsroom producer, I heavily relied on Seattle channels stream of of content, just the the files. So I could go back and grab audio from the proceedings in city council and, and make news pieces. And, um, I think that that's not uncommon that folks in newsrooms rely on public access education and government feeds that they don't have to pay for to access some of the the content that they need to to cover what's going on in our communities. Marty Jones, um, you had mentioned this this franchise fee, which is a fee that people pay on their cable bills when they have cable television. Do you know, I mean, if this funding change happens where the – cable companies will be able to uh, sort of end what what actual cash funding they give to initiatives like peg channels to to these local digital literacy programs. Um, does that mean people stop paying the franchise fee? Will they stop seeing it on their cable bills? What do you think, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I need to ask you. 
I mean, it, no, they're going to keep charging as many fees as they possibly can. And, you know, ignorance is how they're going to win this game. And uh, complacency is how they're going to win this game. You know, these are pre-negotiated um, contracts, service contracts yeah. and services, right? It's, it, you know, so the people are already paying the franchise. I mean, they're, the cable companies, you know, are, aren't, aren't paying anything. The money is coming from the subscribers. Wow. If the subscribers go away, the funding goes away. So it's not costing the cable companies really anything. This perversion of the rulemaking is stating that, you know, they can charge for all of these in-kind services. And, you know, let's be clear, the technology has, um, you know, improved so much so over the years that, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of money to run these channels. What they really want, guys, is they want our channel space. They want to either put us in a digital, they want to put us out of business and not have to deal with this ultimately. Mm -hmm. We're a nuisance. Okay. Yeah. But if they can't do that, then they want to put us in a digital desert because we're in prime channels, right? We're a legacy television channel. You know, and we're on channel 21 and channel 22. They'd rather have us on channel 1739 yeah. than where we are. And let's also be clear that Comcast owns Universal Studios. Comcast owns NBC. Comcast owns USA Network. Comcast owns Telemundo. Comcast owns USA. You see where this is going? They want to multiplex those services. They want my channels so they can put Telemundo Kids on yeah. or USA you know, horror or sci-fi girls or whatever their spinoff concept is, they want to vertically integrate all this digital real estate and dish it out to uh, their subsidiaries, to the channels that they own or that they want to create. So it's all about generating revenue and money, and it has nothing to do with doing the right thing. And Martin Jones, when I hear you talk about your channels – uh, it, you know, the most important thing to me is those channels are non-commercial by design. There's no, there's no ads. There's no selling any of that time. And, uh, there's, there's, so there's very little profit in this work. It's, it's about community media. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what your organization, Metro East uh, Community Media offers to the public and how it is, um, uh, similar to, to other stations across the United States? Well, we're a full-service community media uh, organization. So that means we're the P, the E, and the G. We have public access channels, we have education access channels, and we have government access channels. So like Paul said earlier, and you, Eric, we, 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 we send out all of the government meetings from the Water Commission to City Council yeah. to you know school boards and all in between. We have uh, content that's coming in from NASA that people love and rely on, as well as classic arts. And then we have uh, programming created by um, our fellow citizens, you know, people who think like us, people who don't think like us, people that are all over the spectrum. But one of the core tenets of um, the, you know, PEG or community media movement is, you know, that little thing that is supposed to be so important to all of us Americans the Constitution and its First Amendment, yeah. the freedom of speech. And so we make all of that possible by making access possible. And I've been out and talking to all, I, I deal with five councils, four city councils and one county commission, Multnomah County Commission, Gresham, Childdale, Wood Village, and Fairview uh, city councils. And I've been going out and seeing all of them this month, telling them about what's happening. And there's one little tidbit I could maybe share with you that shows how important public access is. You know, Please people do. can discount, people can discount it as, you know, Wayne's world or something really goofy or stupid or, or unwatchable. Here's a, here's a little bit of reality. In 2017, Netflix spent 8 billion, that's with a B, $8 billion to create 1000 hours of original programming. The reason they did that and the reason why they're going to double and triple that is because their contracts are about to disappear. So Netflix, the great disruptor, is about to get disrupted by Disney. Disney is the largest entertainment company in the, in the, in the world. They own Disney. They own Pixar. They own Lucasfilm, which is all the Star Wars. ESPN, Marvel, ABC. All the superhero stuff. Exactly. And they just bought Fox. 
20th Century Fox Studios. That's right. So all of that is in one giant, huge cabal, right? Yeah. They're going to be launching their own streaming service next year. And they're going to withhold all of their content from Netflix. Hmm. So put that on the shelf for a second. In 2017, Netflix sees the, the writing on the wall. They spend $8 billion. They create 1,000 hours of original programming. In 2017-18, in Gresham, Oregon, at Metro East Community Media, people that are like you and me, our aunts, uncles, grandparents, little brothers, and little sisters, created 1,900 hours in 12 minutes, if you want to be exact, 1,900 hours of original programming original programming created in Gresham, Oregon at our studios or affiliated with our studios. That's the power of community media. Right. That's it's- the power of what we're doing. And that can all go away. The, 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 the ability for a person to share their cultural tradition, their faith tradition, their artistic uh, leanings or feelings, all of that is what's at risk. And what's so interesting, Martin Jones, I think about um, that, that what public access television has been uh has uh, is related to but it has almost nothing to do with what it could be in the years to come like it's still the fact that these uh television stations these media organizations are open to the public and allow access to cameras and television equipment and uh editing gear and everything else that they offer uh to people for almost nothing uh, often completely for free or almost for free um the next year the media that that people are creating uh, is going to be vastly different than than what it was, say, fifteen years ago, right? When Wayne's World was uh, how people considered public access television to look and to sound, and that potential is what's at risk right now with the proposal at the FCC to drastically change how these t- kinds of media organizations are being funded. Eric, you're absolutely right. We have a multi-million dollar facility that's funded through the franchise tax. That facility is open to the public. It's $25 a year for our classes. And if you took all of our core classes just once, and I've done the math on this, you took our core classes just once at different places, I won't say where, in the Portland metro area, you would spend $2,000 minimum. You can take our classes as many times as you want over the course of the year for $25 flat. Yeah. And it's, it's a real, it's that, a fascinating. That's how, we're, that's how we're in. Yeah. That's how we're investing in the community. And it's we're an opportunity. charging a little fee. And it's an opportunity <laughs> to be indie filmmakers as well as documentary uh, creators, as well as uh, television broadcasters, you know, what public access television stations and, and the peg stations around the country. Cause your organization, Metro East Community Media in Gresham, is just one of, I don't know the thousands. number, thousands, thousands, thank you, one of thousands yeah. of yeah. kinds of stations around the country offering these services to the community, and uh, they're at risk. I, I need to play devil's advocate for a moment here, uh, Marty. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, because I think this is a question that people have asked me. This is a question that I hear. I hear it sometimes about community radio, I, and I hear it about uh, public access television, is, well, you know, but isn't this, isn't this just sort of a dying medium? Right. You know, we have YouTube. YouTube and Facebook. We have YouTube. Instagram we have Facebook blah, blah, blah. Live. But people mean it when they bring it up. I don't think it's just, it's just a straw man argument, sure. right? And, and, you know, oh, oh, mm-hmm. so you go to the, 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 you know, okay, well, all right, it's important that you go to city council meetings and, and you record them for, for posterity and for future use. Uh, couldn't we just... Uh, couldn't somebody at City Hall just send somebody with a cell phone? Couldn't they just uh, put it on Facebook Live? Is, isn't all this already accessible? Why do we need to spend all this money? Marty, how do, you, how do you answer that? Well, those are controlled by private companies, and I can answer the question for you in one word. China. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they turn, things, they turn the internet off. They turn the internet off when they don't like something. Yeah. When people are talking about certain keywords or other things, they turn it off. If one company owns all the video content in the country and they become, we, we, we lose our current social fabric the way it is, which, you know, we might, then that's controlled by private, a private company. Should, should the public voice, 
should government meetings, should um, public content be controlled by one company or a handful of companies? No, it shouldn't. It should be controlled by the people. And Sabrina Roach, I want to bring you in. You're a board member at the Alliance for Community Media Foundation. And right now we have a situation where where these internet companies offer a service that really resembles, um, that overlaps, in fact, with what public access television and PEG television stations offer, which is the opportunity for anybody anywhere uh, in, the, in the country to take to the airwaves, in this case, to take to the, to the internet streams and make video content about anything they want. They, they basically have free speech. But uh, my concern is that um, what public access television is... Uh, was legislated and exists because it's um, protected under the law. And what the internet is right now is sort of um, like a happy coincidence. And it could go, they could take away the streams uh, whenever it suits them. I want to ask you, um, Sabrina Roach, Alliance for Community Media Foundation board member, how you see these channels as being important in the American media landscape. I think a lot about libraries and parks and rec centers. Um, and the role that they play in our communities as gathering places and um, places where they um, support uh, a community of practice or learning communities. And what the internet companies don't do is they don't provide a physical space that I can go to in my community um, where I can have access to tools, training, and a learning community of people to make media. They don't offer that. If they did, that would be awesome. And a few years ago, I heard um, about three possible places that um, where, where there were tools and training and, and these kinds of things um, that Internet companies provided. But I don't think they've continued those to resource those spaces. If they had, that's awesome. I mean, then there's like three more. Um, the Alliance for Community... <laughs> Media has 400 operations in 42 states, and it would have more if these um, companies hadn't been so predatory on our communities and pressed over and over again through lawsuits and through you know various other mechanisms to to get rid of public access education government television stations in those communities. Um, so you know I would go one further. You know I want internet service providers to pay a fee to access our utility poles and our homes. Um, they should be paying for that access. And I want internet companies to also pay into a digital equity fund. Um, it's in their best interest to make sure more um, parts of our communities have access to using their sites and their tools. Yeah. Um, but they owe it to us. They're part of our communications system and to have a healthy ecology um, they should be paying in. You're listening to Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reismandel, and we'll be right back with our interview with Martin Jones from Metro East Community Media in Gresham, Oregon, and Sabrina Roach, who is on the foundation board for the Alliance for Community Media. Radio Survivor is supported by Spinatron. Spinatron's web-based music playlist system allows non-commercial radio stations to maintain the logs needed for reporting to music rights organizations like SoundExchange and BMI. A station's playlist can also be published on its website. Learn more at Spinatron.com. That's S-P-I-N-I-T-R-O-N dot com. And now we're going to return to our conversation about the threat facing public access television and internet access at libraries and schools. So Sabrina, you know, we're talking about this threat to funding for public access for educational channels, for government channels, as well as money that goes to libraries and schools for towards digital equity, providing access to the internet. And, and this is uh, part of a proposal in front of the FCC to make changes to the funding structure, to the way in which uh, cable companies who are also internet providers these days uh, pay in uh, to communities, pay uh, contracts that they have with communities uh, to help fund these things. What I'd like to try and understand is what's the argument for this? Like, wh what argument is being made to the, to the current FCC commissioners to say, 
let's change this funding. Let's let the the internet service providers and cable companies off the hook. Uh, how is this being coded? How is this how how is this being set up as being in the public interest? I don't know that they are actually trying to even make that argument. Okay, what is I the argument they're, they're making? They're slipping then? it through in the dead of I the mean, night. You know. Well, maybe it would be useful. Um, maybe some of the listeners could tweet at you like any um, billboards or signage ads they're seeing from these companies trying to change that conversation. But as I've been following it in the media, if this specific in-kind issue is being covered at all, there's, there is no argument. And I think we just saw in the news this week, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but Verizon, um, of the $2 billion of local resources, local cash <laughs> that um, Verizon and AT&T are going to get with the 5G build out that they're not going to pay for like they should, they're not even going to speed up the rural deployment like they said they would before this announcement was made. So they've promised to, to make so, sure rural areas get, get deployed with high-speed internet as well, and many areas that are rural don't have high-speed internet, especially not You know, Paul, I don't know if they... I don't know if they promised it, but they, they talked about it. Okay. They yeah. certainly let people believe that that it was sort of, what sort was of hung, hung it out there as, as a carrot somewhere. But when it comes to this issue, I, I just don't think they're making an argument a, a, about it. Um, so what argument is being is the FCC making then? Because you know, uh, f- you know, as part of rulemaking, these proposals come from inside of the FCC. They may be informed by uh, petitions from industry and other groups, but ultimately when the policy proposal comes up, it comes up, it's inside the House. Is it time to mention on today's episode of Radio Survivor that the current chair of the FCC, Ajit Pai, in a previous life and possibly still in this life, was a lobbyist for Verizon. Yes. Uh, but, but you know, so what is the argument being made there to, to I mean, you know, are, to say that this is in the in the public interest? Because ultimately still that's that's at least the frame in which a government agency like the FCC is supposed to to use whether or not uh, AT&T or Verizon has to use it. What is the argument being made there? How are they justifying it? I think they're rolling it up under red tape. I yeah. think that that is the the framing. They're saying these things are red tape and they need more resources uh, because uh, building out this infrastructure is so resource intensive, especially in rural areas. I think that that is how they're going about it. I, I still haven't seen anything for this in-kind rolling. Wow. Um, that no, explains no, so it. No and, justification. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing to me, right? Because what we're really talking about here, if I understand correctly, is that um, instead of cash payments to help fund these operations, public these, access television yeah, channels, community media organizations that community are community media organizations, funded. community internet, um, they want to say, nope, uh, instead, we, we think we're doing all these things that have cash value, so we just want all of those things we're already doing to be counted as cash, therefore we don't have to pay cash. Is that basically what I understand is the argument? I think that that's what's happening. I think yeah. they see an opportunity with a lenient FCC, and they're going through their window. Yeah, I mean, They're it, just going for it. It just sounds like um, uh, uh, there's enough on the plate of all media, news, and political consumers that at this moment in time, this one might might uh, slip th- slip under the door and and get done without uh, without much light being shined on. Well, it. right as, as as Sabrina set it up for us at the top of the interview, right? It's difficult to understand. It's it's a little arcane. Right. It doesn't even have a have just a, very, very a catchy hate. name like network neutrality. Right, uh, which isn't even the most ca- catchy of names, right. but it's something that people can. We've can done a lot of work easily. to make sure network neutrality is are words that aren't just gibberish. Right, in, in America. exactly, yeah. and and so and it's all part of this this rulemaking and proceeding, which has a lot of words that are difficult even for, and again, for policy. We don't currently know what the deadline is, but it's entirely possible that this funding change to public access television stations uh, could occur. Well, I mean, soon. So, so Sabrina laid out that there is basically, you know, all policy sort of things happen on, on, a, on a regularized clock, right, uh, Sabrina? So there's a public comment deadline that you mentioned. Can you repeat that again? Sure. That's December 14th is when the end of the comment period is. So this, if there is no uh, pushback on this of any kind of significance, uh, it could go into effect in early 2019, I think, 
Um, Marty, soon. do you do you have any insight? Yeah, this this could be upon us at some point in the year 2019. Yes, and the phasing of of this for your listeners is there's two windows in this uh, comment period between now and November 14th. You can initiate a comment. After November 14th, you have until December 14th to make a reply comment, which I think means you look at the comments that are on there and you can reply to them. So if you know a major company that is a proponent of this madness puts their reasoning out there, then after November 14th, you have until December 14th to reply. So the big push now is for elected officials and governments to understand that their ability to levy fees and make money for their jurisdiction for things that benefit their their constituents, that benefit the public, is under attack. They should make a comment in the official FCC portal by or before November 14th, at the absolute latest, by or before December 14th. The senators, led by um, Senator Markey of Massachusetts, have sent a letter to Ajit Pai, the FCC commissioner. We were uh, very focused in Oregon and getting um, uh, making requests of Senators Wyden and Merkley's office to come on board. And I'm happy to say for those listeners in Oregon that both of our senators yeah. have um, signed on. The next step will be then to look at our members of the House and people that are on the Commerce Committee um, the ACM board, the Alliance for Community Media, as well as Sabrina's board, the Alliance for Community Media Foundation board, will be working with other groups like NATOA, the telecommunications folks, the other groups that uh, Sabrina mentioned to work on our strategy of who we're going to go after next um, to help focus our efforts. But this could happen in 2019, and it would be um, uh, terrible. And I think it's basically like Sabrina nailed it on the head. They saw their window. They're going for it. We're in a lax government regulation era. We're in a, a time when government, uh, you know, is going to dismantle something that both sides of the aisle put together decades ago and it actually worked and they're going to just take it apart. And it's, it's really sad. Like go, go work on something that's actually broken. Yeah. Martin Martin Jones, CEO at Metro East Community Media in Gresham, Oregon. If this went through, uh, how much of the funding that currently uh, uh, keeps your community media organization uh, funded, how much is at risk? Uh, Well over 80% of our funding could disappear, close to 90%. Um, yeah, that could go away. And and without and if they try and, they, and if they try to do a backfill, if they try to really do a grab and go for past to the past, that would be like you know. By past, you mean insane. they want retroactive? They want refunds? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. So so we are talking this about. Is, this is, it sounds this like we're, nasty stuff. Yeah, it sounds like we're talking about um, the potential closing of every single public access television station. Which, as um, Sabrina Roach pointed out earlier in today's broadcast of Radio Survivor, um, what's really unique about these places is that they are um, extremely low cost, almost totally free uh, community spaces. They are buildings where people can gather together without um, spending their money in order to make things together, which is so unique in this country that we only have like libraries to compare them to everything else and parks like everything else and yet some of this funding goes to libraries right everything else you're supposed to mm-hmm. to shell out um a considerable amount of money in your pocket just to occupy space uh for an hour or so before they kick you out or call the police because you didn't uh purchase a cup of coffee here we have a here we have buildings that are funded uh for the purpose of people coming together to make media and uh, that is what is at risk because of this policy um, as early as right. and 2019. If you, if you imagine these 400 operations in 42 states, and those are just the ones that are members of the Alliance for Community Media, there are more. Yeah. Um, just imagine a, a map of the United States with 400 points on it, and think about that as a whole layer of media service that that is part of our democracy, you know, and is participatory. Also, think federally what other pots of money are there for media that serves community directly? Maybe, what is it, $430 million, um, at the Corporation for Public Broadcasting to 
fund professional PBS and NPR content right. and very few community radio stations. Which is very um, nice, but very often not local. Right. Maybe $140 million in a little pocket of the NEA that you could access um, that funds some media projects. But there's just very little federal investment in this. Um, it's already small that, is what you're that saying. That we need this. And it's, it's already small. But it's something, and it actually helps community radio as well. We've been doing organizing in the Northwest since 2013 to, to bridge those um, gaps between community radio and public access TV and um, other forms of, of community participatory media. Um, and the infrastructure at these public access stations, the buildings, the physical buildings, yeah. and the professional staff has been a significant part of that work. And so we want to continue that work of there being mutual support between community radio and public access television. There's also been technical support, not just um, gathering for conferences, but um, at Marty's station, they provided access to a, a transmitter site. Um, and he can tell that story for a Portland um, community radio station. But those acts of mutual support and aid yeah. are happening across this, pretty delicate but hearty and sturdy ecosystem of community media. Yeah, I, th I think one of the things that Radio Survivor, uh, I know Paul and I, uh, the work that we've been excited about these days is just the um, the sort of coming together of these t different, you know, in, in 1984, uh, a public access television station and a community radio station were, um, were vastly different places with vastly different cultures. But, you know, we can see in 2020 how it's all community media, it's all radio, it's all video, it's all uh, podcasting people. and audio. It's and all everything. it's all people communicating to their communities, and um, those those opportunities to for for these organizations to grow together are what it, are at risk now because because all of these television stations are at risk. So, Marty, uh, we do want to hear this story that Sabrina just uh, alluded to, uh, where Metro East uh, Community Media there in Gresham, Oregon, helped out a local community radio station in the greater Portland, Multnomah County area. Yeah, X-Ray.FM, X-Ray FM uh, radio station in Portland, a community media radio station. Uh, People may be listening to it right yeah. now on X-Ray. We're yeah. on X-Ray yeah. FM. And a feeling of radio so 107.1 and 91.1, I believe, are the, the two different places mm -hmm. you can hear it. But instead of just hearing it in the neighborhood around the you know low-frequency um, transmitter, we, we provided a translator from a radio station that we had. We had launched a radio station. This was before I was at Metro East called KZME yep. to serve all of eastern Multnomah County. And you know we had issues dealing with um, cell phone tower and the and the government and getting our translator up on Mount Hood was impossible. It would have been easier to send, um, you know, one of our cameras to the moon. So um, we looked for a way to best deploy the use of that translator. And it's now in the West Hills on Council Crest. And um, we have a, um, a use agreement with X-Ray um, over a number of years to help them build their listenership. And so, when you're driving around Greater Portland and you're listening to X-Ray, um, a large part of that is because of our translator that they're using. And a translator is a repeater station. It, it, it is permitted to repeat the signal of another station. And X-Ray's main signal, 91.1 FM, is actually a legacy so-called Class D station. So it uh, operates at under, under 10 watts of power. They are stations that outside of Alaska, the FCC no longer gives out licenses for like but is it but this license middle has of existed. the 20th century low power fm yeah type broadcasting but this particular license has existed for decades and 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 then the translator uh, this repeater station is actually more powerful right. than than than, I, than the source uh transmitter and by being able to place it up in the west hills on the west side of of the city of portland they're able to reach a, a bigger audience because of your help there at and, metro east and what and what's interesting is that this uh community media organization in gresham which ran public access television stations peg stations uh got into the radio game and now and, now, and many other exactly. peg stations yeah. are in the radio which is, game which now is with a, low power fm which illustrates what sabrina yeah. was talking about earlier in the broadcast about the the coming together of these community media organizations and these two 
uh, different genres of community media. And, subs- and the other cool thing is that um, X-Ray has uh, applied for and, and won a community media technology grant from the Mounted Cable Regulatory Commission. And that money was used to buy equipment. So they Metro really supervised it. Um, the install of cameras into the X-ray studios, and so very soon, the X-ray morning shows, ah. in particular, are going to be able to be on video, and then we'll be able to share that radio content out in East County where people can't receive X-ray very clearly on our channel. So yeah. it's a reciprocal cycle. You know, we're working with each other to share content. Uh, Sabrina is one of the organizers with the Grassroots uh, Radio Conference. They had an opportunity to bring in former FCC commissioner uh, Minion Clyburn to Portland a couple of weeks ago as a keynote speaker, they reached out to us and we were able to change some things around because that was a major win for grassroots radio to get uh, commissioner Clyburn to come to Portland. And we wanted to show our support. We were maxed out to the gills. I mean, all of our producers were working. I myself and the head of production actually went out and worked the job because we didn't have any staff. How wonderful. And we, 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 we loved it because they opened the door for us, Sabrina and the organizers, to do that. And now we're using that video on the air and on the Internet. Uh, thank so you, Martin again, Jones, Sabrina. for sort of showing how there's collaboration between your organization, Metro East Community Media, where you are CEO in Gresham, Oregon, and how it's working together with local community radio and, and with, in the case of the Grassroots Radio Conference, you know, uh, national and actually international. Many people were here from Canada, uh, community media. And, and Sabrina Roach, uh, as we as we begin to close out here, you are on the uh foundation board for the Alliance for Community Media. And let's bring this back down to action, talking about this threat to funding to public access, educational and government television stations, as well as uh, digital literacy funding for internet access in schools and libraries. If folks are concerned about this, let's repeat, you know, a little bit of the action item. What can people do about that? Sure. The the FCC has already proven that they don't listen to individuals. Um, Of the 22 million comments, some of which were bots, but many of which were from actual people that went to the FCC through their official portal to comment on net neutrality. And a a large number of them, there was just a a study released at a manual review of a thousand of those comments, Uh, 99.7% of them, all but three were opposed to the FCC's action. And yet the FCC slashed net neutrality. Yeah, what did the exact opposite um, of what the public was demanding. <laughs> right. So so we see that they're not listening to individuals. And I, I mean, the, the, it, that hurts my heart, you know, like that we should, that should be able to count for something. But, you know, many other politicians often do listen to electeds and maybe they only will listen to other electeds. Um, so if their peers are registering their comments on this, uh, maybe maybe that can make a difference. So we're asking folks to to comment. Uh, the the filing window opens. Uh, wait, Marty, is it, it it ends November 14th? The first window, the primary window, is until November 14th, and then the reply window is until December 14th. But it would be right. great so if there the are... listeners can get out there buyer before November 14th. If they can let us know that they're working with their local electeds on this, that would be really great. And um, they can email info at allcommunitymedia.org. That's a good way to reach the Alliance for Community Media. Okay, and we'll have links to that information on the show notes for today's episode. Yeah, including instructions for how you can uh, apply, how you can send your comments to the Federal Communications Commission. There's some good primers on that that we'll make sure that uh, people know about. Sabrina Roach, yeah, go ahead. Could I give you two more? Can I give you two more web links? This is Marty. Please Um, do. uh, MetroEast.org forward slash FCC, as well as Open Signal PDX dot org forward slash fcc that is where those are the websites for um metro east and open signal where we're posting the newest information open signal is um, blogging about it we are um, going to be updating and sending uh, newsletters out um, next week to our um, subscribers but those are two 
specific places on our websites that people can get information. Yeah. Open Signal is the Portland community media television station. Well, thank you so much, Sabrina Roach, for joining us once again here, and Marty Jones, CEO at Metro East Community Media in Gresham, Oregon. Thank you for joining us for this first time. We hope we'll be speaking to you again, but we hope um, we hope maybe it's for better circumstances. Yeah, let's have good news. Next let's time. have good news. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you all very much. And use the hashtag Save Community Media. Thanks for taking the time to focus on this. Well, Radio Survivor, there we are. We've discussed today the threat facing public access television stations, also known as PEG, public educational and government stations in the United States, as well as uh, community access to the Internet at libraries and schools, funding that is on the chopping block at this very moment at the FCC. And to learn more, you should go to Radio Survivor for today's show notes, RadioSurvivor.com. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have uh, links there to help you know how to submit comments to the FCC or to dig deeper into this topic and understand exactly what's going on. But as Sabrina and Marty both noted, I mean, there's there's community radio stations in this mix. Right. There are there are alliances between community stations and public access television, like the alliance between Metro East Community Media and X-Ray.fm, the community station in Portland, I mean, Oregon. But there are many peg stations that have low-power FMs <sighs> like Philly Cam It's so in interesting because I'm, I'm a member of this community of community media producers and we're subsisting on crumbs but there's substantial crumbs it's so like we just you know uh, community media in this country deserves more because it's very uh it's very uh underfunded and yet um it's also so strong and it's so resilient and growing and growing the connections and um it, it's the wrong direction. <laughs> this policy shift would be would be devastating to these television stations. Um, it sounds like many of them would uh, be forced to close their doors. They would lay off staff and shut down. We don't know the exact threat, but um, I don't think that's hyperbole. I like hyperbole. No, I, I don't, don't think, think it's that's hyperbole. hyperbole and I think that uh, that's basically what Marty Jones from Metro East told us. And, <laughs> yeah. and I don't think he's uh, you know, it's interesting. a fan of hyperbole What either. we didn't talk about also uh, today— and this might just be in the podcast version, but, you know, community radio in this country, for the most part, is a project of the American left. And so it, that's how it's that's how we think about it a lot. I mean, it's not always. Sometimes they just spin records, which is just strengthening culture. But, um, you know, a lot of the big stations and public access television is different. And that's a unique situation. It really is open to all kinds of people. And, and that's also part of the foundational yeah, legislation that is, created it. Which is a fascinating strength. Uh, I wonder if that might help a little bit in this struggle. Um, just how many uh, just how many <clears throat> community members who get on the air to preach, you know, religious gospels or go of all sorts of for all sorts of things. Right. It, it's open yeah. to people of all political persuasions. The only thing you're not allowed to do on their airwaves is uh, sell stuff explicitly. Right. And and I think, you know, you'd think that like the city council meetings and the local government meetings would would uh, also be a way that across the aisle. Although right. these days I wonder if if there are. Uh, you know, council members who are, who who would prefer not to be recorded, who well, prefer not to be held accountable for what they say and do. But yeah, having <laughs> having a public access to these meetings uh, over the video airwaves, um, both live, which is a remarkable service, and then as well as time shifted so that people can check out the meetings afterwards. Um, what a vital service yeah. to the local democracies in the country. And, and all of this programming can can then also go wherever. The person who makes it wants it to go. So if they right. want to take it to YouTube or they want to take it to Instagram television, uh, they may, right? Yeah. Here's a definitely After Dark podcast-only conversation. Oh, yeah, totally. But I, Eric Klein, am a, am a, you know, in addition to producing Radio Survivor, my hobby is to produce content here at Portland uh, Public Access Community Media Station, Open Signal. And it's just like... I mean, just the things that I produce, I'm very proud of. But the uh, the things that I also um, come across at the station is really the breadth and depth of what can be on the airwaves. It really, what it does is it represents a creative, um, it represents the creative output of the entire community, the city 
of people who are available. And it's really, it's, it's more diverse than my experience has been at community radio stations. It's a wider net. Well, because in some ways it's television, right? And and, right. and people respond to different media platforms differently. There are people who who aren't interested in say talk radio, right? Or or are in some ways is not interested in music radio, but they watch television, right? And and they TV, and it's a medium yeah. they know. Um, and and one is not inherently superior to the other. I mean, we 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 talk about how we love radio and sound here on Radio Survivor, and of course we make radio and sound, you know, as part of it. Um. But, you know, it doesn't mean that we oppose television, we oppose video, we oppose film. I, I was just uh, eavesdropping on a conversation at, at Open Signal this week where a young person who is producing a brand new podcast is using the facilities of the, of the, pub, of the PEG station there mm-hmm. to uh, create this it's like it's like the radio Joe Rogan content. show, right? It's on yeah. video on YouTube, but it's also <laughs> actually an audio podcast. The conversation in this case was just uh, getting a camera mm-hmm. into the room so that there would be video, right? Because in this in this case, but I mean, what the point of me mentioning this anecdote is just that there's so much a potential for overlap mm-hmm. and for um, building on, you know, building on the culture of community media of the past, but also looking into the future of what is possible uh, when. People have access to both communities and also to equipment and to gear and to uh, spaces, community spaces, which I can't underline again. It's so important to me that like to have a place where you can go in the in the city in which you live that is uh, like a park, but indoors, like a library, but maybe you can be louder and you don't get free books, a, a place where you can go for free. To do something. Well, it's and, not and, shopping and it's not a restaurant to eat at. And the thing that gets left at. out of it sometimes when we talk about both community radio and community television is that there's authority there. And by authority, I don't mean sort of like a crushing authority, but it's authoritative. Yeah. And this is something we've talked about with regard to like an FCC license. When a station is licensed often, people take it more seriously. And this doesn't mean that an internet-only station isn't great and doesn't do wonderful things, but it's just sort of a, a natural prejudice people have that when you have an FCC license, it sounds like, oh, that's that's an institution that's going to stick around. I think there are definitely examples of of public access television station programming that are uh, – important voices in the community right. politically yeah exactly it's that and it's when, because it's on the on cable because it's on publicly. the television yeah. it's on the radio it's on the television which gives a sense of like um you've you've done the work right and you've got the time i was on my my friend uh has a public access television show in san francisco um, and uh, he does it once a week uh, called Mr. Wah Presents, and an he goes art, by it's an art Mr. Wah Show. It's, well, it's I mean, but it's an interview show, artsy. Yeah, he, he's interested in the arts and culture of San Francisco and the Bay Area, and he told me directly that uh, right. that he has made forged many connections there in San Francisco because he invites people on to be a guest. It's twenty minutes long. It's a short interview. They come in. There's a studio. And it's believe me, it's easier to do than it is my current podcast set up here in my house, which I have to set up and tear down every week. Um, but it allowed him to sort of introduce and then also make connections, introduce people to each other. Uh, and you know, it's one thing to say, "Oh, I'd like to talk with you" or whatever. Another thing to say, "Hey, come on my show in a real studio." And they come, and I think I've had that experience even in yeah. radio where people come and go, "Oh, wow, microphones, cameras, lights." All this stuff that shows, well, no, we're serious. This yeah. is a real thing. And people are really going to see it. And he tells me that people will say, hey, I, I was changing the channels and I happened upon your show. And I was like, oh, hey, it's my friend. It's my friend, Mr. Wah. You know, and I think, you know, the same thing happens. We've heard it for our show. People here in Portland saying, oh, I was tuning around and, and turned on X-ray and we heard we heard your show, you know. Yeah. Uh, where, where people who may or may not have been aware that that it's something that we produce and that it's available on the airwaves. There is still a power to these platforms that is that is in in, in in some ways greater than just the ability to put your video onto Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. Not that we – those aren't great pl- platforms to use as well. But they're not guaranteed by any law. But they're not guaranteed by any law. They're like a little yeah. for-profit experiment 
which at any time the terms the can on. change. Yeah, Flickr the- just announced that you know they're greatly cutting back free memberships. Wow, right? Yeah, where they were giving away a terabyte of storage for photos, and now they they I mean it's simply because the company got yeah. moved out of Yahoo and they can't afford it. But that's what happens. When yeah. does the experiment end? At any moment, yeah. That that link to the Facebook video that you were depending on isn't necessarily going to be a. It's going to be. It could very well be a broken yeah. link next and week. So maintaining no funding through sort of official mechanisms through contracts, franchise agreements, which are at least still right now that funding, the ability to oh ask boy. for that funding and, and that's, negotiate for that funding is guaranteed under the law. Um, and and to sort of it's almost retroactive what is being asked the FCC is looking to do yeah. by sort of saying, oh no, we're we're changing, we're like we're changing the whole payment mechanism. And again, it's sort of it's, uh, hard to hard to hard to reckon with. At some point on Radio Cyber, I really hope that this issue, instead of heating up, hot 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 and rushing towards a disastrous conclusion, I I just want to have some time to talk about that incredible history of how. Uh, you know, starting in 1969 and proceeding through the 70s and 80s, these peg stations were built uh, by individuals and groups advocating, you know, petitioning their government for this funding and how fascinating it is and how I really can't, I still am enjoying the notion of how in 1969, when, when the idea of a cable television company was in its infancy, they were able to... Um, get a little bit mm-hmm. of significant funding for these stations or and actually and just really win win the right to negotiate yeah. for it right <laughs> that was really what it, that win the right to because there are communities right. that don't have peg stations win the right to negotiate for a little bit of funding yeah. for your for community media uh, compared to the profits that these companies have made and we're going to make but 1969 for for a cable company is uh that's ancient history. That's like yeah. 1901 for American Telegraph and and Telegram Company. It's a long time ago, and these companies um, have built up some real massive power, both financially and politically, in those days. And they want they want their uh, they want their they want their fees back. They're shutting it down. Well, I don't know. Anyway, they've built up some massive political power. And I, I find it really fascinating. I hope that sometime in a, on a future episode, we can talk about that history um, and have some good news to report. But it's going to take, it's gonna take some, an effort before we get there. We'd like to know, what do you think? Is there a public access television station you love or is it one you work with or maybe you used to be a producer? We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. I'm especially interested about significant television shows, either of the present or the past, that you think that had an impact on you, either because they were uh, artistically creative or, um, you know, uh, socially significant. Mm-hmm. I really think that the. What needs to be preserved? What, yeah. wh- why does this opportunity need to still exist? Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We are a listener. And reader supported enterprise to learn more about how you can help us keep doing what we do. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Of course, this show is available on radio stations around the United States, as well as online as a podcast. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast to listen to the current or recent episodes like our most recent episode before this one, where we talked to some amazing college students doing uh, college radio with a real focus on localism that I was barely aware of. We talked to them at the College Broadcasters Inc. National Convention in Seattle, Washington, and learned there are stations that have a local director, somebody whose job is to make sure they're connecting with local artists, local musicians, and other people in the local community and keeping that station rooted. It's an amazing idea. It's the first time I heard about it. And uh, Smart. You should really go back. If you haven't heard yeah. that episode, you should really listen to it. It'll give you so much faith in the students of today. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Thank you all so much for spending another hour with us. See you next week, everybody. <laughs>